Good morning. On this bowl of question crunch, the guest is my dear friend, Professor Elliot. He's an amateur adventurer and a fan of studying the weird and obscure. He's here to answer questions about his YouTube adventure show, how folks can virtually access old books, and a snake offering a mushroom. <laughs> Elliot, it has been forever. Uh, I don't remember the last time we saw each other. I think the last time was last summer. I uh, I got tested for COVID to visit my family down south. So I, I we did a distanced visit in the park. Right, right, right. The distance park. You know, it's funny because like uh, I I I did more of that as well. Like when you know I I that that park is an amazing park, a perfect park for COVID picnics because there's a lot of space. There is. It's a lot of space, and there's there's like there's areas for everyone's preference. You know, you've got the tre- the trees for your shady people, and then you've got the sunny, wide open lawn spaces. You know, set up a picnic. And I feel like out of all the pe- friends of mine that would find the perfect park, I think that you're the you're the best person to pick. Um, <laughs> as as an adventurer, I think that uh, I, I'd like to think that you have an experience and knowledge of uh, the best parks. You know, parks for me, it's all about it's all about the picnic, man. Like I love I love a good picnic, bringing out the blanket and everything. So I I I keep an eye out for good parks. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I have a difficult time saying picnic. I always want to say picnic. Picnic. Yeah. Picnic basket. <laughs> I I I feel like a Hanna Barbera cartoons have pretty much uh, ruined <laughs> a lot of words for me that I can't pronounce them correctly. It's... I'm always like a picnic basket. smutted in the average bear (laughs) oh my god i feel like a lot of times i tell people like a exit stage left even and no one knows what the fuck i'm talking about (laughs) which is a damn shame if i must say like (laughs) come on come on it's a classic it's a classic classic. you think it's a classic but i think that a lot of people you know are focused on more important things (laughs) (laughs) you know yeah Especially the last few years. Last few years, you know, there's been there's been a lot more uh, urgent needs on people's minds. <laughs> yes. So what? Uh, um. So from picnics and just knowing a lot of really weird information that for the most part people have forgotten or don't even think about. That's how I think of you always. Um. I recently shared your YouTube video of uh your YouTube channel, and I'm just like, he's an adventurer. He also loves to study a lot of weird shit that, you know, like I said, no one thinks about. Um, what inspired you to document your explorations in various objects, subjects? I was going to say, what made you in, go on adventures? But I also love it when you uh, research the teardrop shape. <laughs> right. So for me, all of this is just following my curiosity and not, not saying stop. You know, um, I'll, I'll have a question on my mind, whatever that question might be. I'll think, okay, what, what is the origin of this thing? Like, obviously it came from somewhere and I'll start looking. And usually that leads to a rabbit hole of some sort because questions lead to more questions. They always do. Um, it's that it's the three-year-old stage of why, why, (laughs) but doing it myself, I'm answering the why I'm going and I'm finding out I'm not bothering other people constantly asking the next why question um and so for me wanting to document it is 
the fact that when I bring these answers up with other people, they've always been entertained. There's always been a source of entertainment for, for my friends and the people that I've known. Um, it, it started in late high school. So, you know, in junior high, I was known as the guy with the random facts. <laughs> and so ever since that point, um, it just hasn't stopped. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's it really from an early age, I never stopped asking the questions. So I, I might as well document it. <laughs> so did you have the question? Because uh, like, you've been on some really cool adventures at places that I didn't even know existed, let alone know the history behind them. Um, when you went to the hell gate or whatever that was called, um, <laughs> did, did you, did you, was, was the question, where is the gate to hell? Well, no, actually that one was, uh, I was learning about the history of JPL, um, the jet propulsion laboratory. So the history of JPL, the founder, Jack Parsons, turns out kind of a nutty guy. Um, I'm pretty sure he's Ivo Shandor. Right. Yeah. He he participated in some some like midnight full moon rituals to bring back the daughter of Satan, um, like like very, very uh, uh, Thelema based things. Um, there were some you sound like you're quoting inspired. Egon. Right. Right. I sound like I'm quoting Egon right now. Exactly. Um, so I, I was learning about this guy in his history and then found that he did a lot of testing of his own rockets and his own designs right around the devil's gate dam. And that's when I saw thought, wait, devil's gate dam. And this guy did like devil worshiping type weird, like supposedly like some of these odd, odd ritualistic things. I got to check this spot out. And it turns out there's a lot of, you know, local legend about the devil's gate dam. None of it is true except for the fact that Jack Parsons <laughs> did test some of his rocket launches there. <laughs> See, I was really worried you're going to say, and, and and tonight it might actually happen, and I'd have to pull out the Bakeman and be like, so be good, for goodness sake, whoa. <laughs> well, we already did the Ghostbuster episode in October, so we're not going to do that. <laughs> not doing Ghostbusters. Uh, although, if I know anything about you, it's bring out Ghostbusters any opportunity you can. I'm going to have to go back to the podcast and see how many times I brought up Ghostbusters. <laughs> I really want I'm curious and we could do a super cut and see see if I did <laughs> Ghostbusters every goddamn bowl, which is probably true. Every parent. <laughs> Whoever's producing this cereal, man, they they keep cross contaminating with the uh, Ghostbusters brand. <laughs> um, let's see. Sorry, I just got the, the, the low battery notification. I, That's OK. We're going to keep it in. Don't cut it out. I, I, I feel like I feel like for you. It, it, it's like finding an onion ring in your French fries and you kind of go, Ooh, <laughs> isn't that nice? You didn't order the <laughs> onion rings, but you know, I'm not going to say no to a free onion ring. You know, that's, <laughs> that's you and Ghostbusters references every episode, right? Like <laughs> you're like, Oh, oh I didn't know I'd be able to pull out a Ghostbusters reference reference this episode, but you know, I'm going to take it. <laughs> He's talking about ritual, rich, uh, uh, occult rituals. How am I not going to make a Ghostbuster <laughs> reference? <laughs> an impossibility <laughs> but i just thought that was a really interesting video because i was even thinking about like man i really want to draw that uh goddess or the, the uh horror of babylon right right the horror of babylon the the red god or the red goddess i think I, I, it's been such a long time since i've looked into that stuff it's it's fascinating because jack, jack parsons was also pulled in by um l ron hubbard um who 
obviously another level of nuts. Um, and Jack Parsons was warned by his friend Alistair Crowley, Alistair Crowley himself telling Jack Parsons, hey, maybe you don't want to hang out with that L. Ron Hubbard guy. He's kind of nuts. Like, <laughs> Alistair Crowley, uh, hey, that guy, uh, I, I know I like nuts, but... Uh... <laughs> this is... Mm. <laughs> oh. L. Ron Hubbard, I think we're all aliens. All right, cool. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Wow! Hey, Could I talk to you over here? <laughs> maybe, 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 maybe not so much on on that front. Mm, huh? <laughs> and when I watch it, when I watch your video and you mention all these guys, this cast of guys, I'm like, they are key figures. I know these names too well. Right. The fact that all of these guys are somehow tied to that one spot is is wonderful. I I, I love those historical convergences. You know, awesome. It's biz- it's bizarre, and I highly recommend anyone watching. Well, I, I, I've already talked about your YouTube channel. Uh, wh- how did that start? Because you're saying that uh, it went from why, that's how you document everything. But what made you that, what, what, what took you to the step further? And it's like, you know what? I want to go on the field. Right. So the video is, it comes from a lot of different sources. So I'd already been considering different ways of expanding. I've done podcasts before. I had been blogging for a long while. Um, I started the idea of filming that uh, one of the biggest inspirations for me there was um, Huell Hauser. Nice. If, All right, cool. <laughs> if people are in California, um, if you are a Californian, you probably know the name Huell Hauser. If you're not in California, then I'll explain. Huell Hauser is a bit of a documentarian who is in search of California's gold. Um, no, hold on. Come on. Do a better Huell Hauser than that. Oh. California's gold. That's better. (laughs) California's gold. California's gold. And it was just him and a cameraman. The entire series was just produced between the two of them. Incredible. Um, Just the two of them out in the field. He never prepared, and he always asked questions of whoever he encountered. Um, And I I, I love that style. I really do. Like, the guy is just so honestly – he's bubbly, and he's curious – and he asks questions. That's that's it. You know, it's that's it's a great formula. Um, and Me so, and my family actually make fun of not, not make fun of him because he, we love him. We love Hugh Hauser. Um, it's <laughs> just we we like to tease the fact that almost everything, every like really small object, he would ask about. Like if he's going down the sidewalk, he'd be like, "Now what is that called? Is that a?" Is that a fire hydrant? Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. And he's walking along with a fireman. He goes, oh, well, no, actually, that specific one isn't a normal fire hydrant. And then it opens up this avenue of, of discussion that you wouldn't. Wow-wee. Wow-wee. <laughs> well, that's incredible. I, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's funny, the connections that you end up with Huell Hauser in California. Because, like, there was a time when I was exploring a drainage tunnel. And usually when you're exploring tunnels underneath Los Angeles, you don't come across many people. It's very rare um, because, you know, people aren't down there. Um, One of the few times I've come across strangers, I came across a man who was painting a giant mural, 20 feet long mural underground. And he comes down, he's got a gas mask on, he kind of pulls it off his face so that way he can communicate better and says, hey – you cool? Like, yeah, I'm cool. Oh, all right, cool. And he walks back (laughs) and I'm like, so this is, this is pretty awesome. And we we get to talking and he says, Hey, have you heard of Huell Hauser? I'm like, 
Are you serious? Are, are you serious? Yes, I love Yule House. Have you seen the episode where he visits the tunnels underneath Los Angeles? No, I haven't. Oh, I got to look this up. And then we have this great conversation about Huel Hauser while we're both hanging out in the drainage tunnels. Like, the the weird connections to Californians and Huel Hauser. I, I just love it. I love it. <laughs> I think it's strange when you, said, when you said, if you're not in California, you might not know this guy. Because I'm like, nope, how dare you? I don't even want to believe that there's people in the world that don't know about it. <laughs> when I moved to Oregon, not a single person knew Huel Hauser. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. That's not true. You're a liar. <laughs> That's not true. That's impossible. (laughs) (laughs) Which is your favorite video you worked on? I got to say, honestly, the clown motel. God damn it. The episode (laughs) with you on it. It's, it's, it I was really hoping it was going to be the hot springs. Something not clown. Hot springs were fun. Honestly, the hot springs were a lot of fun. And, you know, it was fun skinny dipping with my friends for the first time. Sure. but the 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 aspect of the clown motel it comes down to not just the planning went swimmingly the lead up went well my <laughs> i got the opportunity to do a solo road trip out there which i always i love long drives so that was awesome i got through three books on tape you know like that's a lot of fun then the actual filming it was a road trip with friends it, it's it's hard to beat that episode that was uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, I feel like there was a lot of history that you were not even expecting to encounter. Um, right. Because you, you explained that. You're, you always ask why. And I feel like as we were driving into Tonopah, we passed by the school and the school said home of the muckers. And we're like, what the fuck is a mucker? <laughs> what? Why would you name it that? Mucker? <laughs> what is that? And, and I remember in the car, we're like, is this a racial term? It sounds racist. Mucker sounds like a racial slur. Like, it really does. <laughs> I think I, I think that's true about almost every American history thing. When you sing a song and you're like – because there's been a lot of times where I've, I want to draw a comic strip, and I want to do it about, like, some kind of old nursery rhyme or old song. And I'm like, shit, I got to look it up to make sure it's not racist. N- nursery, rhymes times... <laughs> nursery rhymes are a minefield. Yeah. <laughs> Catch a tiger by us. Oh, wait a minute. Oh. No, that, not that one. Um, what about? <laughs> no, we can't sing about that one. What about Jimmy Crack? Mm, Jimmy Crack Cor- oh, uh. mm, No, that one's not good. <laughs> right. Um, oh, but what was God. your what was your favorite part about? All right. Well, what was your favorite part about the Clown Motel video? Man, so there's there's two aspects that stand out to me. Um, oh man, you know there's so much to choose from. Uh, I can tell you mine. Your what's your favorite? Uh, the barbecue Sunday was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Barbecue Sunday. So it was mashed potatoes, gravy. What else? They had coleslaw in there. I think they had meat, right? They had meat of your choice of meat. Was it your choice of meat? I can't remember if it was your choice. I thought it was like pulled pork. Wasn't it pulled, pulled pork? pork? It was like pork. Shred- it was right. shredded something. But served in a Sunday cup. <laughs> yeah. And it was just the, the layer of barbecue and you took a bite and you're just traveling through a barbecue meal. <laughs> if I have to pick an absolute favorite of that entire trip, it would be that we're on our way and you're already about to be tortured for charity, obviously for charity. And you decide on your own to up the ante and call to everybody on all of your followers and say, hey, if we raise more money – then we'll watch Attack of the Killer Clowns tonight at the That's motel. That's not the name of the movie. 
Killer clowns from outer space. Killer clowns from outer space. Thank you. <laughs> from outer space. I just don't want to hear any listeners get on my case about <laughs> the movie wrong. Your, your your listeners are definitely the type to know. Um. Well, not, not even to know, not even to know. Just they want to uh, attack me for not knowing a clown movie, and then they'll send me like. <laughs> right. Fair enough. In any case, your your followers did did raise the money before we even reached the motel, and we ended up watching that movie. Um, I think that the ballsiness there really it's a highlight for me <laughs> it's it's I'm, a hoisted by your own petard kind of ballsiness <laughs> i'm i'm all for raising money in charity <laughs> um one of one of, it was funny because like i i do i love your hunger for information um because i feel very similar um i love learning about stuff find find something that i don't think most people know and then just uh, pulling that thread and trying to get as much of it as possible um because uh recently i did a drawing of uh the clowns of at not scary farm and i was like you know what i can draw just any random clown but i was like you know we ha- we live in this time of the internet where i can find out a lot of stuff at the e- e- at the click of my th- just the flick of my thumbs i can right. get you all can, the information you can google <laughs> not scary farm clowns and you could find all of them and probably who they are. <laughs> yeah, I, I did. I did. Uh, all, all the clowns in the drawing are real clowns at Not Scary Farm. And I found their Instagram handles. <laughs> <laughs> because, of course, they each have Instagram handles. Well, because I went, I, went I went on the hashtag and I, I scrolled until I found one that was tagged. And I was like, cool. And then uh, I found out their code. <laughs> their code. Well, because uh, a lot of them, they, they, put, they, uh, they put BS before their handles. And it's a board, uh, boardwalk, uh, board street. Okay. Boardwalk street. I think boardwalk street, but they, they, that's their term for their clown clan. And it's either, uh, it's either BS okay. dot name or BS underscore name. And that's okay. how I found them. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Terrifying. Horrible. <laughs> but that's the thing, right? Like the, there's so much available across the internet. Like some of the, some of the things that I like to research I've got these websites that just are are a wealth of information that every time I visit, it blows me away that these websites exist. Like um, Half I Trust is a brilliant organization that scans old – that collects together old scans of old books, and you can just pour through old books online. They're just fully scanned and available. So you've got, okay, I'm researching slang from the 1880s. Well, I'm going to go to Half I Trust and I'm going to look up some old slang dictionaries. You know, like this is I, – I love resources like that that exist. <laughs> I don't remember you ever mentioning this website to me. Oh, man. This is a good one. Half I Trust is a good one. If you're looking for old maps, then the David Rumsey map collection, tens of thousands of old maps. Love I'm it. Gonna, I'm going to check this out. I love, uh, I love the idea of scouring old books and finding out information that – or just – Things that people were interested in back then. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a great resource. It really is. And it's definitely a resource for a lot of my research. Uh, which episode of Adventure Club could be a horror movie by simply changing the music? Because I feel like a lot of your episodes have really high and fun and exciting kind of music of like, ha, 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 ha. But I was watching an episode and I'm just like, shit, this would be terrifying if the music was different. <laughs> 
that's see that's the tricky thing right like because there's an, a couple of episodes where i did use horror music like yeah for the clown episode i used horror music um for the uh for the episode where i brought on the chimichanga superstar co-hosts christian and and, and you know like that that the trick here is is finding the episode that didn't use it and i think maybe the second part of the tunnels the la tunnel special because that was an episode where we did get footage but we didn't end up using it as much we did come across some people on the uh on the banks of the la river at night that we weren't sure what was going on, but we were pretty sure they were up to no good. So we were very much trying to hide ourselves behind a fence as we walked past. <laughs> um, that and just exploring those tunnels in general can get real. It gets real weird real quick. <laughs> I think your second trip to the mine, um, your return trip to the mine, that could have easily had horror music and been scary as fuck. You know, that's that's. That's not a bad choice. Um, when, when, you, uh, when you walk past the dangling webs. <laughs> you know, and, and it's funny because I've come across more people in that mine than I have in the drains ever. <laughs> which, is, which is so bizarre because the drains are so readily accessible. It's literally like you could be walking next to someone's house and then dip down a tunnel and there you are in this massive web of tunnels underneath LA. But the mine is a two and a half mile hike at a mile high elevation through difficult terrain. And yet every time I've been there, there's like someone near the entrance or inside the mine. And it's just popular <laughs> as fuck. Everyone's like, yeah, oh. everybody's there. Let's go explore the mine, which is, I, I, I will say to everybody listening, don't do that without, without professional advice and help and gear because it's so dangerous or just uh, don't do that right, right. <laughs> i i uh i have lost two helmets because of that mine in particular once when a rock fell on my head and cracked the helmet and once when a, a mine support beam fell on my head and cracked my helmet you, um, you gave it a name like uh what was it a wishing stone a wishing stone the one you wish you saw because yeah. you hit it before you saw it <laughs> Well, because there, there was a lot of moments in that episode that I was just like, uh, I, I was like, man, this this needs creepier music. This is too fun. Like, uh, you, you, there 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 were signs that said drop. <laughs> right. Because that's a mine, and there are points where you look down and you go, oh, that's a hole that goes 60 feet down. <laughs> but you had signs that said drop, and then the one sign that said explosives, and you're like, ignore that one. It's like, well, which fucking sign am I supposed to ignore? <laughs> that's see, and that's the that's the the part that kind of reveals the uh, the scouting. I don't go to any of these places with a guest if I haven't been there before myself. Um, I don't like bringing guests on a complete blind spot for me. Uh, so especially in a place like an abandoned gold mine, um, I want to know where are the drops? Where is the exit? Which way do we turn? Which way are we going? Um, because I don't want to bring a guest somewhere where, oh, where did we come from? Left? Right. No. Right. Right. Is it this arrow or is it that arrow? Or, oh, shit, I'm sorry. Did you just slip and fall down a 20 foot hole? Oh, boy, I don't have the insurance to cover this. You know, like <laughs> this is or this rope. Is, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> so it's it's good to go scouting ahead of time to be sure that a location is is well known to me before I bring a guest. Um, and so those 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 moments of ignore that one, it's it's a re- it's kind of revealing the backstory of me going. I know there's no explosives in here, but I do know that this one's an exit sign. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, those uh those sticks with strings sticking out of them. Ignore that. That's it's <laughs> right. I'm sure they're candles. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not a problem. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> do you do you, uh? Is it easy to get a guest for these trips? Um, it depends on the trip. I mean, it's been it's been a little while since I've done one of these trips. Sure, uh, sure. Because you know, it, it, things happen. You know, I'm planning on getting back into things this coming year. And I'm not sure about guests in general. Um, so the, the guest thing this year is the trips I'm planning are going to be massive um, in scale, and compare, especially compared to the, the trips that I've done previously. Previously, almost every video I've done is a day trip. There's pro- I think there's two exceptions to that, where it was a one-night one stay. But in general, they've been day trips. You know, I hike out, I hike back. Um, the adventures that I've got planned for this year are going to span five days at least, if not two, three weeks. And so in that case, any guests that I bring on, I'm planning on bringing on as an expert that I might meet somewhere partway through the journey rather than joining me the entire way. Um, Some of these adventures that I've got planned, they've got, you know, locations along the way that do interact with civilization rather than just being in the middle of nowhere. And so I'll have the opportunity to have experts on to talk about whatever I'm encountering that day. That'll be rad. I'm, um, I'm looking forward to it. Your trip to rendezvous was pretty, it was an awesome episode. And rendezvous, it, the Rocky mountain rendezvous. Yeah. Um, it just, it, I, I, I just think it's funny whenever someone says, uh, Oh, don't drink alcohol. And it's like, but people have been drinking alcohol forever. Uh, the, the desire to want to escape and to warm your body seems to be a key factor to, uh, <laughs> to right. all the drinking. And, and, you know, rendezvous was, it was the moment that in the classical sense, you know, the 18th, the 19th century rendezvous, Rocky Mountain rendezvous, it was like the moment that these guys would actually have serious amounts of alcohol once a year. Um, so of course they're going to drink every last drop they can get <laughs> it makes sense <laughs> well the one guy uh told you that um <clears throat> he said you would be surprised at how much alcohol was uh, consumed during the declaration the writing of the declaration of independence <laughs> right oh it's true in the in the 18th century i think that the number was every man woman and child this is an average for every american every american drank an average of seven gallons of hard liquor per year and you you, i mean you you look back and you think about it the water sources weren't necessarily the cleanest back then so if you're gonna have something that's guaranteed not to kill you with giardia it's gonna be the hard liquor (laughs) uh yeah whenever i hear about the electoral college i think uh man they must have been drunk off their asses (laughs) (laughs) And that they were. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you were talking about your helmet. And I always draw you in the pith helmet because that's your thing now. Um, 
and I loved Ryan the Pip helmet. I love seeing characters in that outfit. Just the, the it's it's a cliche, it's a trope, and it's just really fun to see. Um, and that always makes me think of Van Pelt. And <laughs> when people think of Jumanji, a lot of times that's not their favorite part. They think sure. of all the animals, they think of the plants, they think of the does, Van Pelt does I'm not sure does not go. <laughs> right, Van Pelt is not the top of the list when you're thinking of Jumanji, but he's certainly a, a, a cliched of cliched character, but in a wonderful sense. And I get a kick of uh, for people who are listening. Uh, Van Pelt's the hunter. He's the hunter that yes. Alan Parrish. <laughs> Van Pelt is the one who's hunting Robin Williams' character. <laughs> and I I dig him so much because I think he's also uh they, he also captures a very uh, classic trope of having the parent who is in the beginning the authority figure and so kind of an antagonist. And, I mean, they do it same in Peter actor. Pan. It's the yeah, same they do it actor, Peter like Pan. Peter Pan with Hook and, and uh, Mr. Darling. Mr. Darling, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I love that. I love that concept of reusing the parent to make him the villain. And it's just really fun. And seeing, seeing Alan, you know, stand up to Van Pelt and, like, you know, actually talk to his father. Right. Um, why do you think Van Pelt hunted Alan in Jumanji? <laughs> That's a good question, and I think it's important to take note of that cliche we were just talking about, right? Uh, the, that the same actor that plays his dad is the one that's playing Van Pelt, right? Yeah. So we have to look at the character's interaction as a father first, because that's the first interaction we see. As a father, that first interaction is Alan gets basically bullied like crazy, and Alan's dad is like, yeah, well, you should be a man. Stand up to your fears. Stand up to the bullies. You know, face face your bullies, face your fears. And later on, Van Pelt mirrors that, right? And he says, uh, face me and die like a man, right? I, I mean, obviously it's escalated, you know, a from lot. face your bullies to face <laughs> your death like a man. Um, that was a sharp but, turn. <laughs> right. But but the parallel is there. So I think it really comes down to as he's he is hunting Alan because Alan is running. Alan is running away. It's his fear, right? So it's it's as long as Alan is running, this guy is going to hunt Alan. And as soon as Alan turns around and faces him, he's not hunting him anymore. That's literally <laughs> what happens in the movie. As soon as he stops running, he stops being hunted. And I think that's the purpose of the character is he hunts him because he's running away. Well, the purpose of the character, sure, but I'm just thinking of like I, I like to imagine Van Pelt in Jumanji in the jungle, and like, uh, did he <laughs> did he actively see like Alan show up and he's like, oh man, a person? I haven't hunted a person. You know, he <laughs> references he references the rolling of the dice, right? Well, that's later. Like, that's later. Right, but but he still references it, and I I I would like to point out that that. If he's a part of the game itself, there's something to be said about um, belief in determinism, you know, because this is maybe this is a guy who just knows his place and he goes, oh, the dice was rolled. I'm supposed to hunt this guy. That's my oh. job. You know, determinism versus free will. Um, and, you know, the board, y you don't really get a choice in that game. If you actually look at the functionality of the game. You're not really getting the choices. You're getting, okay, you roll, you go to this space. That's that's the essential part of the game. It's very deterministic in that sense. But then the players themselves, when they encounter those things, have some choices, right? So there could be a, 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 a discussion to be had there about free will versus determinism in that the characters from the game itself 
are ruled by determinism, whereas the players have the free will to choose how they interact with those those moments. That is an interesting perspective that because Van Pelt is part of Jumanji and all the animals that are coming at the people, at the players, they're not doing it maliciously. They're not doing it. To, they're doing it because uh, the game d- demands it. Yeah. It is their uh, role. And it's only it's only once they're out in the real world that uh, at, once once they've gone past the attack, the humans, the initial attack. Now it's free range. Now they just go all, wherever they want. Right. Okay, we've done our thing, but now we're in the real world. <laughs> Let's fuck shit up. Yeah, right? <laughs> and Van Pelt certainly did that. And because like, uh, later he says the rolling of the, he rolled a dice. And so I understood that when he, when Van Pelt arrives in the real world, I understood that that was his goal now, that he, he had to attack Alan because now he rolled a dice. Now he's got to do that thing. But right. when, uh, when, uh, what, Sarah is the, is the initial uh, person, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, she asked him, she's like, what, what's, what's his deal? And Alan's like, I don't know. He's always hating me. I have no idea why. <laughs> I don't know why he hates me. Well, he hates you because the game demands he hates you. And the fact that the guy, the fact that the hunter knows about the dice roll kind of implies some sort of like internal knowledge of the game itself, right? Like yeah. he knows he's a part of the game. He knows his role is to play out this game as demanded by the, by the dice roll. Shit. <laughs> I think that changed Jumanji for me. I, I, was expecting, <laughs> I was expecting like a silly answer, but. <laughs> Giving you the best answers I can. <laughs> <laughs> well, because now, now I'm like having this, uh, this, uh, I, I'm, I'm having all of this thought that because they're stuck in Jumanji and there's no other path to go but forward. <laughs> this, this got, this, this movie got scarier. More scary than ever. <laughs> There's no free will. You just have to keep going in the dead direction it's, or it's die. It's an existential <laughs> crisis, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I I um, related to that. I highly recommend you look up the series Devs. Um, it it blew me away. Honestly, I really enjoyed it. It's very very much um, deals with a lot of those philosophical concepts. Um, and if you can handle another existential crisis, it's one season and the whole story is done. It's worth oh, I'm, looking a, I'm at. a big fan of existential crises. Uh, oh, crises. this top top of the list, man. Top of the list. <laughs> um, I feel like, uh, and I know I've mentioned Animaniacs in ev- in so many uh, episodes of the of Question Crunch, but I'm going to do it again. Um, yes. Uh, Yakko Warner was the first person to give me an existential crisis <laughs> when he's saying, uh, it, "It's a great We're big all really universe." Cutie. <laughs> and a tiny little speck about the size of Mickey Rooney. Mickey Rooney, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great big universe and we're not <laughs> you go as as a, a grade school kid going oh no oh, oh really okay <laughs> we're not the center of the universe that's shut up <laughs> and yeah even says like uh we uh, you know there, there might be life out there but we don't know for sure <laughs> Yeah, when you I was a kid to, and I was watching that. <laughs> you have to get back – you have to get into learning about, like, relativity and things to realize that the world really does center around the observer. You know, according to relativity, I am the center of the universe. So, you, you know, Animaniacs gives you that existential crisis to, to really feel and, and experience for a while. And then you get to high school and learn about Einstein a little bit, and you can feel like you're the center of the universe again. 
but you have, <laughs> you know, you have to have that existential crisis as a child. Get it out, get it over with. <laughs> I actually blame the uh, the concept of center of the universe uh, to the disappearing of stars uh, as we've gotten uh, more as cities got more and more populated and there's more light uh, pollution in the air. We don't see the Milky Way. We don't even know why the fuck it's called the Milky Way. And then the stars keep disappearing and disappearing and disappearing until we only care about ourselves. <laughs> oh, boy. Man, I just found out there's a new – as of a year ago, there's a new dark sky sanctuary in northwest Nevada that oh. is some of the darkest skies in the world. Um, I am desperate to go and visit this place to go scar stargazing. Um it's, now, what it's, do you mean by darker, dark skies? Is that just as far as uh, light pollution? Light pollution, yeah. Okay. So it's some of the most clear stargazing in the world and is probably the most clear stargazing in the country, at least in the continental U U.S. In um, Nevada? In, in, in Nevada. It's near Massacre Rim, which sounds very ominous. Sure. <laughs> um, rims are terrifying. Rims are awful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I, I just found out about this uh, about a month ago and I, I, I'm waiting on, I'm figuring out a few, th let me tell you, working on getting my car's registration from California to Oregon has been a, an eight month process and still isn't done. <laughs> um, so I'm waiting on that to be finished before I do any major road trips. <laughs> Understandable. And, it's, uh. I'm tempted. I'm tempted to go out there with you because, like, I don't remember the last time I got to see the Milky Way. Dude, that would rule. And honestly, with this spot, with this spot, we could do it car camping style. <laughs> yeah, I could be game. I could be game for that. I, I, I don't like the idea of a, uh, a lot of adventures, but I'm like, oh, we can just, you know, be in my car. Yeah, you could see, you could put stars. a sleeping bag in your car. You don't even have to put up a tent. <laughs> That could be cool. I'd, I'd, I'd be willing right. to do that. Like, I've, I've often thought about that. Like, uh, I, I've, I, when I was younger, I would do a lot of camping with my family. Uh, involuntary camping. Involuntary <laughs> camping. So, I, I've, you know, I, after a childhood of that, I've, I've never been like, let's go camping. You are, <laughs> but, you are a true hobbit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but... To see to see the stars, I would like to see the stars again. That would be I'll, cool. <laughs> I'll keep you in mind. I'll keep you in the loop for this. <laughs> um, what fictional subterranean person? Because you've got you've gone underground a lot in your videos. You go underground a lot. Uh, either in man-made, well, no, always man-made tunnels, but either uh, the drainage tunnels, the well, LA tunnels. Well, we did tunnels. do the lava tubes once. We did do the lava okay. tubes once. Um, what fictional <laughs> subterranean person slash thing? I didn't want you to think that it had to be a person. Uh, have you been most worried about encountering? So one of the times that I went to explore a gold mine, the night before I made the mistake of watching The Descent for the first time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't say that I was believing that we were, there were such monsters, but I can say that there were many times in that gold mine when I heard a noise and panicked. <laughs> sure. That, that is an awful, that is an awful movie to watch before you go underground. <laughs> it, you know, uh, I didn't expect it to be as bad as it was in terms of its effect on me. <laughs> I don't remember the last, I, 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 I don't think I've, like I saw the descent, uh, quite a while ago and I haven't, I haven't had a good rewatch, but I don't know if it would have the same effect 
because a lot of those moments, uh, you know what? I'm going to watch it. I'm going to rewatch it again because yeah. it's a good movie. Yeah, and I, I recommend it to anyone listening too. But don't I recommend watching the descent <laughs> without without looking it up first? Um, sure. Uh, that was that was one reason why it affected me so well was that I didn't know the plot. Um, it it really blew me away in that sense. Like I I honestly don't think I looked it up because I think I saw it on uh, some streaming service and uh, I love. I love watching just whatever whatever streaming service is like, here's a movie for you. I'm like, sure, let's do it. Let's do it. Hey, All right. <laughs> I I you know, because I, I feel like I feel like that's the most adventurous I am whenever watching a movie or a TV that I don't know about. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's your level of adventure is is well, I'm, let I'm me watch a new thing couch. I've never heard of. <laughs> safe on the couch. Excellent. Uh, I actually have not I, I, I keep like Hulu keeps recommending devs to me, but I never actually got around to watching it because it just, I don't know, didn't seem like something I'd be interested in. But uh, you are one of the people I put on like my top list of people that if they suggest a thing to watch, I will do it. So I'm, I'm honored. Right. I'm honored. Yeah. Devs, devs was really good. Um, it's a thinker, man. It, it gave me a lot of existential thoughts. <laughs> so you're the most worried about seeing the monsters from Descent? Yeah, that's that's probably the top because the rest the rest of them like I didn't fictional is the keyword, right? Because yes. like if we're talking fictional, yeah, I think that's the only case that I had an issue. Um, I've literally hosted a screening of it chapter one in a drainage tunnel, and I was not worried about coming across a clone. Not but, not even the not even the underminer from uh, Incredibles. <laughs> underminer. <laughs> <laughs> you may I may be beneath you. <laughs> <laughs> nobody's beneath me <laughs> yeah no not, not even the underminer <laughs> no i i feel i what's that line because i think it's from incredibles 2 where he and it's one of my favorite moments from incredibles 2 where it's like oh i'm not part of the plan <laughs> like it's like when when mr incredible invades his plan and he hasn't changed things up <laughs> <laughs> right oh my god <laughs> Um, was there any adventure? Cause like you, so going underground after watching Descent, that's the time when you're like looking over your shoulder to see if any sound. Um, Gold mines are not quiet places. You know, there's dripping and things <laughs> falling off of walls. So there's constantly sounds behind me. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there any other time when you had to hide fear for everyone else to be like, I know what I'm doing. It, oh man, it was definitely the uh, the encounter at the side of the LA River when we were going oh, yeah. to the tunnels, because encountering so when you see an SUV parked at the side of the river with a bunch of people, you know, you go okay, one cars aren't supposed to be here in general. This is not a spot where cars are supposed to be. Two, it's like 11 p.m., 12 p.m. at night on a weekday, you know, like this is all, this is getting weirder. They're facing the river. This something sketchy is happening there. Right. So I was genuinely freaked out. Or they're trading pogs. You don't know. You're making, they could be trading pogs by the river. Um, so I, I had to be the calm faced leader of like, Hey, we don't know what they're up to. Don't worry about it. We're just going to be quiet, go underneath the, the fence and head on our way. Um, but I was, I was shitting my pants. <laughs> <laughs> Crap. I didn't bring my slammer. I can't trade pogs. I can't, oh, I, I no. can't play them. If they challenge me, we're all dead. <laughs> Hopefully unprepared. 
like the thing is like if you come across homeless people the best thing that you could have is like you got like a joint in your pocket mm. and like because when it comes to the tunnels in la the one one of the most common things you'll see is people are camping out sure. um and if they look nervous about you or something like that offer them a joint and you'll be their best friend and, it's and true. you're good that's, that's all it takes but if you see an SUV parked at the side of a river and if they're up to something shady, a joint isn't going to fix that situation. <laughs> 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 Who the fuck are you and why are you watching us? No, I swear to God I wasn't watching you and whatever you're doing. What do you think we're doing? I, I don't know what, what you think. Why, <laughs> why, why are you hanging out? <laughs> I, I, I love when you said that the guy in the tunnel was like, are you cool? Because it's, it's pretty much saying, are you a cop? <laughs> right, exactly. Are you cool? Yeah, I think I'm cool. <laughs> are you cool? You gotta tell, you, legally, you got to tell me if you're cool or not. <laughs> oh, I don't know, man. I got self-esteem problems. <laughs> I, I feel like if someone said, are you cool to me? I'm like, shit, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't know that I am. <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, I, I I bring up Alf too many times to ever be cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know I know the lyrics to the Gummy Bear theme song. I don't think that's cool, man. <laughs> oh, cool, cool is never a word I describe me. If you're asking me if I'm a cop, then no, I'm not. <laughs> if you're asking me if I'm a cop, I will gladly tell you I'm not a cop. <laughs> You know, I I uh <laughs> I was doing a jury uh, doing jury duty, and they asked me about like you know, did you ever think about becoming a cop? And uh, I was like, no. And they're like, uh, why not? And I'm like, <laughs> well, I, I told them I was like, well, that wasn't just that just wasn't an option. I I never thought about it. But in my head, I was like, same reason why I'm not a test player. I, I <laughs> there are a lot of jobs I never want to go into. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Elevator repair man. <laughs> I'm not an ice cream man. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever considered becoming a librarian? <laughs> see, okay, I am more willing to be a librarian than a cop ever. <laughs> but see, as an adult, these choices are much easier for me to make than growing up. Like, yeah. growing up, I wasn't aware of a lot of the issues with police. Growing up, sure. when I was in grade school, I, I wasn't aware of the issues with police. I wasn't aware of the issues with any of those things. But as an adult, if you ask me now, which would I rather be, a librarian or a cop? That's that's an easy choice. I would much rather be a librarian. Yeah, but even <laughs> as a kid, I'd still go for the librarian because I like books. <laughs> you know, fair point. <laughs> I, I, I would also go for the librarian over the tennis ball player because uh, you know, tennis is a sport. <laughs> I think I think if it were the choice between tennis player and and librarian, I'd still go librarian. Sure. I just, yeah, I just think there's, there's a lot less uh, um, skin cancer involved. <laughs> you know that runs in my family. I got to watch out for that. <laughs> um, why you you are such a big fan of uh, pursuing knowledge? And right. your documentation of the knowledge that you learn, uh, I love it. I remember when I um, when we met, it was just you being an artist, and we were at an art show. But then when I eventually watched your YouTube channel, I was like, oh, my God. Because I grew up loving Hugh, Hugh Hauser. So I yeah. love watching people explore places. And, uh, and, I mean, Question Crunch is about that, too. Just asking people about the projects that they work on. I like I like uh, spreading the news and informing people. It's that people. exploration, right? Why should we pursue knowledge? Why should we? You know, it's, 
pursue knowledge. So it's interesting that you use the phrase pursue knowledge rather than just having knowledge, right? Like, oh, I, I, pursue... I formulate my questions <laughs> oh, yeah. specifically. Well, I, there's, there's, that, there's that Einstein quote, right? Like um, the pursuit of knowledge holds more value than its than its uh than its ownership or something like that like uh-huh. having having knowledge is not as worthwhile as as pursuing knowledge um and i think that it kind of speaks to us as human beings i think i i feel like we we wouldn't have ever left the trees if it weren't for our curiosity right i feel like there's some there's some deep genetic need for us to be curious and to follow our questions um, you know, wait, hey, where does that, where, what's on the other side of that lake? I don't know. Want to go? Yeah, let's, let's go to the other side of that lake. And, and then we just kept going, you know, um, why should we pursue knowledge? It's, it's who we are. Why wouldn't we pursue knowledge for knowledge's sake, pursue knowledge for the sake of pursuing it? Um, it's hard for me to answer that question without going into like, like recursive reasoning pursue knowledge to pursue knowledge <laughs> duh <laughs> and and then and then of course i'm like but the knowledge itself isn't as important wait what yeah no no just <laughs> pursue the knowledge really it's i i i think yeah but other, now, now if you go on the other side of the lake and tell people about the other side of the lake they'll be like oh that's fake news <laughs> <laughs> right nowadays well you know thinking about the genetic aspect of it there's also or the biological aspect at least there's something to be said for the neuroplasticity of children and the why questions, right? Kids are the ones who are constantly doing that pursuit of knowledge to to irritating levels for some. And we lose that as we grow up. Many of us lose that as we grow up. But those who don't tend to have a lot more of a flexible mind from what I've seen. Um I I would be very surprised if there weren't a direct correlation between people who kept pursuing knowledge and kept pursuing those questions and people who are less likely to have mental issues as they got older, dementia and the like. I, I would be very surprised if there weren't a connection between those two. Now, do you think that uh, people who ask why – um, cause there, there's, you know, there, there's the people that ask why, and they're able to, uh, determine whether or not that answer is a valid answer and, uh, use critical thinking to so be able to actually understand analysis it. Analysis is the other aspect of that, right? So it's yeah. like, I think that's, that's, the, that's the key, right? Because there's the pursuit of knowledge. There's the analysis of it, the, the intelligence to have the intelligence to be able to analyze it. And then there's the wisdom of how to apply that knowledge, right? None of that, of course, is the knowledge itself. Again, yet again, the important thing, knowledge is still the bottom rung. (laughs) How to balance those is important. But I think if you've got the first one, you're more likely to be able to get the others. If you're Mm -hmm. not willing to pursue knowledge, if you're not willing to pursue more knowledge, then you're never, ever going to get the analytical skills to be able to apply that knowledge. Because I I, I only ask because I've seen people on uh, (laughs) on the Internet uh, with the attack on the Capitol Hill or the the attack on the Capitol um, saying that, oh, why did they attack it? Oh, well, clearly they are Antifa dressed up as Trump supporters. And it's like, no, that's not. 
I don't think so. Yeah, again, (laughs) but see, the people who are saying that, are they genuinely pursuing knowledge? I I don't know that we could say that they are. I because they're being either one, they're following someone else's statement of, oh yeah, that's just Antifa. And you go, okay, well, where did you hear that from? Well, comment on Reddit or a comment on Facebook or whatever. But if they were actually to pursue their knowledge, as in pursue knowledge, finding sources, they would find out the truth, right? Like, I think that the people making those comments aren't necessarily actually pursuing knowledge. They just think that they already have knowledge, right? They're putting the emphasis on the knowledge itself. Oh, I have knowledge that this is Antifa. Did you pursue that knowledge? No. (laughs) And I also think that that's, uh, I think the key ingredient of pursuing knowledge is knowing when, uh, when, so for example, back to the attack on the Capitol, um, I read a story or I keep seeing that meme show up about the guy who tasered his balls and then died of a heart attack. And I, I posted that recently And it's true that he did die of a heart attack. I can't find any confirmation that he tasered his balls, that that it's a result of him tasering his balls. That won't stop me from from talking about that story because it's funny and there's no actual stake in it if that story is wrong. And if I find out that the story is wrong, then I'll stop spreading it. (laughs) Fair. Well... And the other key, I, I love the friends that I've seen on Facebook do this, is when you own up to it. Yeah. Um, I have seen people, especially if it's not a low stakes thing, like obviously something like that, why did he have the heart attack? Doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. A man sure. stormed the Capitol and had a heart attack as a result of the madness that ensued because of that. That's yeah. That's the story. How, how that came about at, at this point is unconfirmed. But... If you found out the truth and it wasn't what you thought, that doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. If something larger were to be, you know, confusing you or fooling you, it might be worth correcting yourself if you were to share that online or share that with your friends. I've been caught up in fake news. And when I found out, I went, oh, shit, who did I tell? And I immediately started texting friends and went, hey, so remember when we were talking about such and such? I fucked up. (laughs) <laughs> here's here's the reality of the situation my bad <laughs> i I, I, I love it when friends can call me out on stuff because i think i posted a thing that i thought was funny because it was funny it was a funny joke but then someone said that that person is a uh, um it should be boycotted because he's this he's this guy who thinks he's scientific but he's he's led by pseudoscience and he's just an idiot and i forget a name i should tell you i should know the name just so i can spread the news <laughs> that he's an idiot but, but you looked into um, it. <laughs> well, no, the, my friend called me out, sent me a link, gave me verification and showed me all the examples of him being an idiot. And I was like, all right, cool. Thank you. And I deleted <laughs> that thing because even if it's funny, I don't want to give that dickhead a platform. <laughs> right. And that's the thing, right? Owning up to your own shit is so important. And it's it's the one thing that that should keep everything that's been happening a lot more civil. But not many people are doing it. Owning and up to your be- own shit is so important. And being ex- being uh, willing to accept being called out. Right, right. Don't <laughs> don't shut down when someone says, "Hey, you're wrong." <laughs> Own up to it. Yeah. If, look into it. Go. Am I wrong? No, I'm not wrong. Or am I wrong? Yes, I'm wrong. Either way, you know, be open to it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um. 
so you you are definitely a fan of pursuing knowledge, and uh, you also had a show, uh, Fantastic Feasts and Where to Find Them. And yes. there were a lot of stuff that you ate that I'm just like, hell no, that's not going to happen. Even though I'm willing to eat, eat a hot dog, and I have no fucking clue anything about the hot dog, I'm not willing to eat all the stuff that you eat. Um, so <laughs> Adam and Eve also were in the mood to pursue knowledge <laughs> by eating the forbidden fruit. Um <clears throat> If you were in the Garden of Eden and you had you wanted to eat the forbidden fruit, how would you prepare the forbidden fruit in a meal? Okay, so you have all this text there's now. A, <laughs> there's a few there's a few questions here that need to be addressed. I sure. think the, the the basis for my show a lot of the time what we would do is we'd try the ingredient and try it in a recipe. If okay. I had the forbidden fruit, I think right away no matter what I'd have it on its own first to experience it as it is. Sure. And then figure out what might work with that if I wanted to bring it into a recipe. Now, that being Oh, shit, because then the fruit would tell you what, what to make it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the fruit of knowledge. Um, <laughs> but that being said, what the fruit is is very important here, right? There's a lot of legend about what the fruit is. Obviously, the most common is apple, but I don't think that that is actually the case. That's just the mythological representation. Sure. Uh, one of my, I'm so glad you asked this question because one of my favorite theories or hypotheses that have been put forward is that the fruit of knowledge of good and evil, as documented through paintings in ancient Europe, or ancient meaning within Jesus, Jesus until now, um, is that the fruit was actually magic mushrooms. Um, oh, <laughs> there's a book called the psychedelic gospels and it's, it is a wild ride. It's so much fun to read this book. Um, the, uh, the theory is, um, you look across a lot of these old frescoes and paintings and mushrooms feature heavily in a lot more Christian paintings than you would expect. They pop up in a lot of places and a lot of them look pretty much identical to psychedelic mushrooms, whether that's the fly agaric mushroom or whether that's the, the typical brown ones. Um, trust the fungus. Trust the fungus, right? Um, so there's a lot of evidence that there's a connection there. So if that were indeed the fruit, I think in that case, my preparation would be a day of silent meditation on myself, figure out what's going on in my own head, figure out what I, I'm looking for in my life and what I'm struggling with. Then the next day I would eat the fruit, and the day after that I would reflect on what my experience was. <laughs> I, uh, I, I I've often told people that the reason why I will never have psychedelic mushrooms, I think, is because uh, I get motion sick pretty easily, and so uh, I wouldn't want <laughs> I wouldn't want to spend a day of throwing up. Uh, <laughs> um, but now I now I really want to try mushrooms because now. I want to. I want to do a more. <laughs> I want to do a story of Adam and Eve, of Eve taking a bite of the mushroom and just tripping balls. Tripping balls. <laughs> She's on the ground tripping, and Adam comes up and says, "What is going on?" She's like, "Eat this. You Trust gotta have me. it." That oh my snake, god! The snake told me that this is delicious, <laughs> and he's right. Is that right, snake? Listen to this guy. <laughs> There's no snake. <laughs> Pointing at the bark of a tree. That snake. It told me. <laughs> Snake's the devil. What the hell's the devil? 
that's fantastic. I, um, I definitely have temptations to make some videos about about biblical drug use um, because there's more than just than just the fruit. There's also um, like incense um, incense sacrifice, sacrificial incense. Um, it turns out there's there are psychoactive components in frankincense and myrrh. There's there's psychoactive components in some of the waxes that they used in their production of incense. So if you combine all of those ingredients together, supposedly using it the way that they specifically instructed, which is you light this in a poorly ventilated area, as in you're hotboxing it, yeah. then you're doing it right. <laughs> and I'm very curious what the effects would actually be like. And the only way to do that would be to actually try. So I, I that's something that I've had on a back burner for a long time, and I, I would love to attempt. So when the three kings or the three wise men came and brought frankincense and myrrh, Joseph was like, oh, shit. <laughs> We're getting lit tonight. <laughs> um, what social media of yours? I know you've been out of you, – you haven't been posting a lot of uh, adventures and a lot of I, videos. I am, I'm prepping for some stuff this year. Good, um, good. I, I'm looking so forward think, to it. I think if anyone is looking to find out what I'm going to do or find out when I'm going to do things, you can go to my website, ProfessorElliot.com. So that's Professor E-L-L-I-O-T.com. Or you can visit my YouTube channel, Professor Elliot, um, YouTube.com slash Professor Elliot. Um, subscribe, hit the notification bell, and you'll find out as soon as I'm going on those giant adventures um, this year. It's going to be a wild ride. Do you have any words of advice for anyone who's aspiring to become an adventurer? Always tell people where you're going. Always tell people where you're going and when to expect you back. Um, you don't want to be the next 127 hours guy. Um, you don't want to be exploring somewhere and have something happen and have no way to reach the people you love. When you're going on adventures and exploring things, it's very important that people know what you're up to.